Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Perkins Platform. This is a solutions-oriented podcast and live radio show. Each broadcast, we dedicate just about 30 minutes to explore topics of interest for leaders and professionals in education and a variety of other disciplines. And this is your host, Brian Perkins. Uh, So welcome back, everyone. We are uh, well into, uh, as we, I guess you could say, closing out our summer and we've had so so much fun uh, throughout the year, actually. But this this summer, especially having celebrated ten years as a podcast and radio show, and today's show is no different than the others. I'm equally as excited every week. I'm just so excited that I get to have conversations with such fascinating people and the work that they do. And um, today, I'm I'm. Uh, really excited to introduce to you and uh, get to know better also um, a, uh, uh, a person who was um, a former security specialist with the Central Intelligence Agency and is a founding partner of a firm. Um, and she'll tell you more about that and um, of, the, of the firm, about what the firm does. Um, and we're going to talk a bit today about um, deception and body language and lying and and um, she has a lot of experience in interviewing and interrogation and a variety of other areas and so um, I'm just happy to introduce you and welcome uh, to the show today uh, uh, Susan Carnicero welcome Susan thank you thank you for having me yeah, so glad to have you. So, you know, you've done a lot of different pieces of work, and and it's all fascinating. I know you have a background in forensic psychology. I think that's fascinating as well. Um, so tell me, I, I guess I'd like to start with, um, now, it, I think the way you pronounced your your firm, is it, uh, uh, let's see, is it Q Verity? Yes, it's Q Verity. Uh-huh. Oh wow! That I, I was I was worried that I I um if I was supposed to say it all in one Queverty or <laughs> so I said okay I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna <laughs> we, make it complicated. <laughs> I'm not gonna make yeah, it complicated. We get it quite a bit. <laughs> I'm gonna do it just the way it looks. Q Verity, um, that's great. And um, so you started a firm. You found a partner of a firm, Q Verity. Tell me about your firm. What made you start it and and, like, what exactly do you do uh, at the firm? Okay. Well, we, um, we're actually, the, those of us who are partners actually started the, the firm many, many years ago. Uh, we're all former agency folks. We all work together, um, former polygraphers, um, interviewers inside the organization. And several years ago, we had a problem inside the organization where we were, we were having some, some some moles, you guys might have heard of Aldrich James and yep. some of those folks. Mm-hmm. And um, the chief of security went to one of my partners and asked him to try to figure out what we were doing wrong that we were actually getting beat by people. Uh, when mm. I say beat, you know, people were lying to us and, and doing it well enough that we weren't catching them. And so Phil Houston, my partner, and um, some of his uh, friends inside the organization came up with a methodology um, that cross-cultural, cross-gender, and it's a methodology that allows us to see when people are not being 
being truthful or not being completely candid. We don't want to use the word lie because that's a little strong, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's uh, not being candid. Um, and so we taught this inside the organization. We used it extensively inside the organization. And then we um, went out and did some training for an investment firm. And the investment firm found what we were telling them to be incredibly important to them because it allowed them to see when C-suite individuals might be being not quite as candid as they need to be. And, you know, they're looking at, um, you know, whether they can should invest in the company or sell, you know, stock in the company Mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. And it was kind of a surprise to us because when we went out and did it, we really had no knowledge of the investment world because, you know, we were gubbies. And someone came up to uh, Phil at one of these training sessions and said, you know, this really is uh, applicable to the investment world and uh, and other things. I mean, we we do interviews about high net worth families and things like that. Um, and so we stepped outside, Phil retired, and I stepped outside the government, and we stood up to Verity. And we do training um, for investment firms or training for um, other conferences and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, we do interviews, um, you know, both um, for investment firms when they go to talk to C-suites. Um, we do it for high network families. Mm-hmm. Um, we we do we do it for a lot of different people, um, and and it's been very successful. We've we've done a great job, but it's all based on the methodology that that mm-hmm. we developed. That you developed. Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm 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 fascinated by that. Um, having been um, in a situation where it have had to hire people, but also mm-hmm. um, we you know we. Whether we know it or not, when we do interviews, um, whether it's for graduate school programs or interviews, mm-hmm. um, you know, doing research, we often um, find ourselves trying to interpret what people are saying um, through either the way they say it and and other mm-hmm. uh, things. I think, you know, one thing you mentioned about your methodology is that you found that there were uh, aspects of this that are cultural. Uh, can you elaborate yes. on that a little bit? Because I know you said you had a cross-cultural approach to this. Right. And and when I call it cross-cultural, what I mean is we've been able to take this methodology and we've used it all around the world. Um, so yeah. everybody, almost every single culture lies in the same way um, mm-hmm. or lacks candidacy in the same way. And and it's both verbal and nonverbal. There's a couple of things that, that are not accurate cross-cultural, and, and, you know, we make sure when we're teaching a class that we point out that particular, um, that particular behavior. But, um, you, know, you know, people, people all have a tendency, regardless of where they're from, to, to lie the same way. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, one of the things that we're all, I shouldn't say we all, a lot of people have a misconception about is eye contact. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people think if someone looks you directly in the eye, then they're being truthful. But that's not necessarily the case. If we know mm-hmm. that looking looking someone in the eye looks truthful, don't you think the person who wants to lie to you thinks it knows the same thing? Yeah. And so yeah. the things that we have considered to be more um, uh, just incorrect, they're more mm-hmm. they're, they're fallacies. Um, we've gotten rid of those fallacies, and we've we've focused on the things that really are more, um, again, cross-cultural. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't know if you remember, I'm sure you do, um, some years ago there was a television show. I don't know why they stopped it, <laughs> but um, it was called Lie to Me. You remember that show? I love show? that show. Yeah, yeah I I, I'm sure. I'm sure you did. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it was it was so fascinating to watch. Um, and it got me interested personally in just reading about body language. But it, I, I don't know how much of it was true or accurate in the show. But um, it certainly made you think that they really knew that they'd done their research on on that aspect of when people were not being truthful and and just as you said, just because someone looks you right in the eye um, doesn't mean that they're being truthful. But also, the in contrast to that, that or converse, that they, when people did some of the things that were commonly held to be uh, un, when they were being untruthful, like, uh, oh, they'll touch their ear or they will, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. touch their neck or something like that. Um, they're not being truthful, which also doesn't necessarily mean that, you know. So um, I, I thought it was fascinating um, also that it, you know, in your bio, it talks about you uh, being the developer of a behavioral screening program. Um, and yeah. so, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it's really hard at times, you know, as I, I started to mention, you know, you, we, we interview people um, for programs or jobs. And usually you don't have a lot of time to assess mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. them. And in, you know, some cases it's 30 minutes or an hour, or even if you spend the whole day with them um, in a, in a series of interviews, uh, it's still difficult. So, um, you know, what, what are some, like just some uh, clues that you might, you might uh, suggest about when to dig deeper um, behave, when you talk about behaving, uh, behavior that people have? Well, let me, let me address that by talking about the methodology because for us, yeah. and, 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 I, and I did love that, that, sh- that show that you mentioned, um, which was focused more on micro-expressions, mm-hmm. um, you know, the way somebody, somebody's face comes across when they're, when they're being deceptive. And, and while that's a great, that's a great tool, we think that the that there's so much more that goes on than just the expression on one's face. Um, so for us, it could be it could be you know you. So we so we look at this methodology as everything that of the verbal and nonverbal deceptive behaviors that we see has to start within five seconds of the question that gets asked. Uh-huh. And that might seem like a same weird thing, but the problem is you know people think roughly or they speak roughly 120 to 150 words a minute, um, but people think much faster than that. So we want to see, we want to toss out a question, regardless of what the question is, we want to toss it out, and then we want to start looking or listening for one of the deceptive indicators that we know to be deceptive to start within that first five seconds. If it starts after the five seconds, we can't be sure that it's any longer attached to the question that we asked because then mm-hmm. the brain's gone on to something else. So, we, you know, so, and then, so it's a timing issue for us, but it's also a cluster issue for us. We want to see more than one deceptive behaviors, whether they're verbal or nonverbal, a combination of both, but we definitely want to see more than one deceptive behavior. Mm. And so, People, the thing that we all need to know is that if it's in the best interest of somebody to lie to us, 
they're going to lie to us. Sure, right? sure. They're going to do, yeah, they're going to do whatever they can to convince us that they're being truthful um, so that so that they can get, you know, get through what they need to get through on. But there's there's several things. You know, they'll do things that um, if we're looking at a deceptive, uh, a verbal deceptive, they're doing things like they're being evasive or they're trying to persuade us. Sometimes they get aggressive. And, and in, when I talk about that, they may be going, why are you asking me this? I've already told you this. You know, they, they become uh, or they get upset because you maybe asked the question again because you identified that perhaps your story didn't make sense, deceptive indicator that made you question what they were doing. And so, I mean, when I talk about evasion, for example, that's sometimes people fail to answer the question. I mean, a lot of us have interviewed people, you ask a question, um, it, they give you an answer, and it seems like a good answer, but then you realize that they've really never answered your question. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? Um, yeah. Or you ask them something if they've ever had problems in a job, and they don't deny it. They don't come out and say no. They give you, you know, they give you a lot of words that make it sound like they've never had problems in a job. Um, so you've got really got to be listening for that, for that kind of stuff, um, mm-hmm. so that it, you know, so that we can figure out what they're doing. Um, sure. Another one, a, a really strong one that people will do, um, is what we call in the persuasion bucket, which is a convincing statement. So, you know, if you ask somebody, again, if they've ever had problems with a supervisor um, or problems in a job and they come back with, you know, look, I always make a a point to be a good team member, to provide as much support as I can, to do all the, you know, to do all the things that my supervisor is going to need me to do. I help out other people. And so they give us these convincing statements about why they wouldn't have problems in the job, but they don't Mm. deny it. Right. 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 Um, yeah. And so that's that's a problem for us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, you know, that's fascinating because I, you know, I wonder sometimes, and I, I, I've encountered exactly what you've said, and but I also wonder at times how much of it is uh, nervous behavior because sometimes you know, like they go hand in hand. The reason they're lying. Is because they're. I mean, the reason they're nervous is because they're lying or they're being. They're not being truthful. But what about if they are just nervous and they have nervous behavior? Mm-hmm. And how mm-hmm. do we kind of discern the difference between it's not because they're 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 being less than truthful? That's a great question. So that's one of the reasons that we go with the whole cluster idea. Um, anybody who's in a job interview or any sort of position like that are going to be nervous. They want the job, right? So they're going to be nervous. And what we need to do is see past the nervousness um, by looking for clusters. Also, too, people often have pet phrases or pet behaviors that they do. Mm-hmm. And so you mm-hmm. don't want to, you know, you don't want to knock them off the block just because they show one of those behaviors. So we want to see yeah. more than one. I but gotcha. the thing that, the one thing that we've noticed more with nervous behavior, um, whether someone's done something wrong or not, or whether they're lying or, or trying to lie or not, is we use follow-up questions. So if we see or hear deceptive behaviors, we ask a follow-up. It might be right then, it might be later in the interview, but we want to get that question out again. And oftentimes, if it's a situation where the person is nervous, that behavior goes away. 
But if the mm-hmm. person is trying to lie to you, the behavior either continues or it gets worse. Worse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. So, you know, I, I will tell you for anybody who's interested, um, we wrote a, our in our company. We wrote a book called called uh, Lie to Me. I'm, I'm sorry, called Spy the Lie. Um, going back to your TV show, called Spy yeah. the Lie. And in that mm-hmm. book, we list every single behavior, both verbal and nonverbal, um, that and, and we talk about the methodology, which shows um, how to how to start seeing deceptive behavior or hearing mm-hmm. deceptive behavior. Mm-hmm. And and so now what we've been talking about primarily is kind of in the the phase of, you know, so these are not people we necessarily know, um, uh, but, but, you know, we're interviewing, we are, uh, we are asking questions kind of before they, they come into an organization. And I, and, and thank mm-hmm. you for pointing out the book because I was going to ask, are there resources available to help with that? Because I know that sometimes that it can be really sensitive around re- just trying to figure out what's, what, what really is happening. Now, there are other things that happen on, um, that, are, that are not verbal, but that are on paper. Mm-hmm. You know, that, um, okay. when, you try, when you spot inconsistencies, um, mm-hmm. what would be your advice on, you know, kind of like, uh, let's say that there are these stretches in the truth, how you get at when people write and like they say, uh, their, um, their, their responsibilities are actually more than they were. Um, right. uh, so like what, what, what's your advice about those? Well, one of, one of the things that, that is, is important to recognize is that, again, if it's in someone's best interest, they're going to they're gonna lie. Whether they do it in writing, whether they do it in person, they're going to lie. And we, one of the, some of the things that we need to, to do to start seeing and hearing deceptive behaviors is to recognize, first off, that people are going to lie to us. I mean, there are definitely some obstacles that we need to overcome in order to see or hear deception. And one of those is the idea that people are going to lie to us. But more than that is when we see, like what you're talking about, um, you know, what doesn't look to be completely true and, and exaggerating the, the work that they've done or the, the, the uh, level of work that they've done, that sort of thing, is to, be, is to feel comfortable enough to ask them about it. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that we really have a problem with because we don't, we don't want anybody to feel like we're accusing them of anything. Right. 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 But we're uncomfortable asking the question. And so, um, you know, hand in hand with recognizing deception is interviewing strategy. So if, you, if you're looking at this paperwork before somebody comes in and you see these inconsistencies, you need to write a question ahead of time to, to address those inconsistencies. And it doesn't have to be confrontational. You know, it doesn't have to be anything that would be problematic. It needs to be asked in a way that doesn't sound, you know, confrontational. But you just need to be confident enough to be able to ask the question. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, 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 um, and you can and, even and say I, I saw some inconsistencies. Yes, yes, and and you know I've diffused. I've been in that situation before, and I've I've and I've diffused it, and actually it turned out to be just 
you know, and a misinterpretation on my part where um, mm-hmm. I I thought I knew what it, what it was what was being said, and so I just put it right out there and said, um, you know, there's there's something you have here, and I'm just it's just not clear to me. Um, mm-hmm. And so, if you could elaborate a little bit more on what happened between this time and this time, it's just not clear. So it's just it's not you, it's not me necessarily, but. Um, um, give them an opportunity to tell you what it is. And then, you know, just being, I think if I'm, if I'm hearing you correctly, watch for follow what happens in the follow-up, right? After you ask. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, in order to see or hear, to see and hear deception, you really have to be focused on both. And, yeah. you know, most people are better at one or the other. They'll see mm-hmm. behavior before they'll hear the behavior. And so one of the things that we say to people when we talk to them about our methodology is this is the sort of thing you've got to practice, right? You've got to mm-hmm. watch, you know, 2020 and 60 Minutes and all these interview shows and, and watch the behaviors when the person's answering the question. And that's how you'll start to see or hear more of the behaviors. But you really need to develop the weaker of the two senses so that mm-hmm. you can see and hear everything that comes across. But yeah, right. you ask that question and you are totally focused on what that person is saying and doing as soon as you ask that question. Right, right. And and so it, which is kind of back to where we kind of started with this about body language um because mm-hmm. I what I just heard you say is not only what they say, it's what they're doing. And Absolutely. and so and so um, which is the other part that is just so hard. And I know you're saying you have to practice this, but it's so hard to tease out. And I've seen, you know, a number of um, of documentaries that I've I've watched too about body language because I'm fascinated by that mm-hmm. as well. But um, is um, is body language and what people are doing? Some of them are just quirks. Um, they have habits of doing one thing or another. Mm-hmm. Um, but so. Um, elaborate a little bit on on some of those kinds of things that um, you've seen and that that people have told you about that are um, are giveaways. Okay, and and first off, and and you're absolutely right. Non uh, nonverbal behavior is important. In fact, nonverbal behavior is just what you call body language is just as mm-hmm. important as the as what people mm-hmm. are saying. Right. Mm -hmm. And so what we're looking for in situations like that is very simple. If I ask a question and the person starts moving what we call anchor points and anchor points are anything that kind of anchor you to either yourself or to the to the chair or to the floor. And they're going to be things like feet or your arms on the arms of the chair or your your bottom in the chair, Mm -hmm. your back Mm -hmm. against the back of the chair. So I'm going to ask the question. And I'm going to watch to see if that person starts moving the anchor point because uh, that's, going to be, that's going to be important, right? In any conversation, people are going to move. I can't, I can't ding them for every time they move. What yeah. I'm paying attention to is do you move, do you start to move within that five seconds of me asking a question, right? Or, and it can be a nonverbal or a verbal deceptive behavior that has to start within the first five seconds. But those are the things I'm going to look for. And you brought up earlier, you know, somebody touching their face or scratching their neck or something like that. Um, that's absolutely a deceptive indicator. And it's, and it's done because of physiological uh, responses. You, we've all heard mm-hmm. of the fight and flight, 
right? Mm-hmm. And the fight mm-hmm. and flight means that if you're lying and you don't want to get caught, um, you go, your body goes into that fight or flight, and so all the blood goes to your major organs. And that makes the, the uh, arteries or the veins at the end of your extremities start to itch because they shrink. Uh, mm. And so people will rub their nose, they'll rub the scratch of their ear, things like that. Um, but, yes, it's, it's absolutely a deceptive indicator when they do that. Yeah. Um, they might do grooming gestures. You know, they might all of a sudden start playing with their necklace or playing with their watch or their hair or fixing their tie. All of those are what we would look at as deceptive indicators. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, um, so because I, I teach in a leadership program, um, one aspect of what I teach in the introduction to leadership, we, we talk about communication and how important mm-hmm. communication is. And so likewise, applying the psychology of understanding that people, what people take away from your your body language, we we teach mm-hmm. also what body language mm-hmm. suggests, and so in some cases it's about the use of your hands and what you're doing right. with your hands. Now, you know, right. I think what's what's really important is also that it's not just in like our conversation more so about you know deception, detecting deception, but also if you understand the science. To communicate honesty, there are some things you can do intentionally as well because of what the the science tells us about the way people read it. Um, and you know, so I you know I think that just being intentional too as you are speaking, I think is very important um, for a leader to also because you're you're saying I want to communicate that this is I'm not being deceptive. It's not about you know, oh, I got to make sure I don't scratch my ear. But my use, the the use of my hands, the way I stand is important mm-hmm. because of the what what it communicates um, on a subconscious level. And I, I tell people that all the time. Sometimes I demonstrate. Mm-hmm. Um, look at the way I'm talking to you now, and I might fold my arms, and then mm-hmm. I say the same thing, and then I open my arms, and I say, now, mm-hmm. how does that feel? to you if you heard me saying it do you believe me more and a lot of times they are amazed at that they're like wow that you like just in that moment I, it like it feels different they you know it's hard to tell but i think that's a lot is that a lot of this is is subconscious right I, I, and i agree and that's why we have to go back to the five second rule and it has to be if somebody does something like, for example, if you're standing there talking to me and I and I ask a question, and I'm not talking about giving a talk or you know communicating with somebody. I'm talking about this is in response to a question. So yeah, yeah. if you're standing there talking to me and I ask you a question and you cross your arms, that's an mm. anchor point for me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. that's so that's indicating to me that you're very uncomfortable with your answer. Right. Yeah, yeah. So you. So again, it's focused on that five-second rule and your response to my question. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And that. And that's yeah. what's hard. That's what's hard for people because again, if you're standing there talking to me, you're going to move. I'm going to move. Right. Yeah. But yeah. if you do it once, I ask the question. That's when I. That's when I start paying attention. 
Yeah, sure, sure. Well, I, I do have one, too, and you, it was a perfect segue, what you just mentioned. Um, one last question for you, and this one is about, you know, you know, asking questions. So people ask questions often, and our tendency is to quickly respond. And Absolutely. I remember, mm-hmm. I, I remember, um, and I think I was in high school at the time, there was a young man um, who, when we were in high school, he always paused. Teacher would ask a question, and he would actually pause and think, and then respond. And so mm-hmm. I know that a lot of us are very uncomfortable with um, with that. And I've seen, you know, interactions where people are being interviewed for newspapers or video, uh, and they and they um, they don't have an immediate response. And so mm-hmm. it's especially something that's either you know kind of deeply personal or that requires mm-hmm. reflection. I know that in in when we do interviews for our, our graduate program, um, we ask some pretty reflective questions. And I often have candidates will say, "Is it okay if I think about that for a second? And we say, "By all means, because I do right. want your best thinking on this." Um, and so what about, what about that? Like, what is it that it tells us when people, um, say, I, you know, I, I do want to, I want to, that's a deep question. Uh, are they more likely to be, are they being more truthful or are they more likely to be trying to think of a good lie? <laughs> well, that, that really comes down to the question. I mean, that, that yeah. comes, that's a great question for you to ask because it comes down to the question you ask the person. For yeah. us, a pause, if it's a simple question, a pause for us is a deceptive indicator. Ah, right? gotcha. It's just a, gotcha. It's, it's your brain's not going fast enough because other people will repeat the question or, or do something else to buy time. But some mm. people's brains don't go that fast. That fast. So sure. it depends. Yeah. So it depends on the question you ask. If you ask a question that, that deserves reflection, then you shouldn't have a problem with them taking time to respond to it. Yeah, but if yeah. it's a simple question, there should gotcha. not be a pause. That makes a lot of sense. A lot of sense. Well, well, wow, Susan, thank you so much. You know, I told you 30 minutes was going to go fast. I could go on and talk to you <laughs> so is. much more about it. And so can you, I, I know usually people uh, want to know more uh, about the people that come on. So can you tell us where people might see you, any social media handles? Uh, please also repeat the book um, that you that you have. I think there'll be a lot of people interested in that. Um, but just any places where they might see you and be able to follow the work you're doing. Um, well, Spy the Lie is the book. And again, it gives all the methodology. It gives a bunch of stories, you know, some of the things that we've experienced um, that other people have experienced as well and how we were able to determine deception and truth in, that, in those sort of situations. Um, we do have a website, tuverity.com. Um, you can reach out to any of us on that. We do occasionally do um, analysis of some things that are going, in, going on in the world and point out the lies that people have said. Um, uh, in in those uh, in the analysis, we point out the behaviors and that sort of thing. Um, some pretty big names, uh, Anthony Weiner is one of them, and some of the other folks. We were able to show the mm-hmm. behavior pretty quickly. Um, I do have a TED talk out there. Um, mm-hmm. It's a, it's a, I think it's a 45 minute um, TED talk that you can find on uh, YouTube. 
Um, and then other than that, you know, we usually contract out to do our training. Yeah. So um, if anybody's looking for training for their, you know, their company for a, an event or something like that, um, we have a we have a roughly hour by the lie presentation that we do. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Very interactive. So um, awesome. yeah, you just reach out to the to the website and 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 we'll get back to them. Yeah. Well, great. Thank you so much. Um, I've learned a lot, and I'm sure people kind of eavesdropping on this conversation have also. And so, um, Spy the Live, going to have to make sure I get that one. And uh, just wishing you the best and uh, with your firm and the work that you're doing. And so, until another time, go well, stay well. You too. Thanks for having me on.